I heard Jordan Peterson, he defined what ethical accomplishment is, and he said, doing something good right. If you're going to do something, first make sure it's good, and then how do you do that thing right? So to your point, like breaking it down into writing a sentence, like why are we communicating? Are there mistakes in this? Are there typos in this? All the way to like, okay, running a meeting well, setting the agenda. And then all of those things make up greater things like running a business. Systems are made up of smaller parts. That's what we take action on. We don't take action on systems. We take action on very small steps. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, we've told you this before. One of our commitments to you as a part of the Path for Growth community is that we are not going to go behind the scenes to make this thing all perfect and polished and clean and figured out and then bring this beautiful business out to the world. No, we are very much building this business in public. And that's something that we've been doing from the very beginning. And so it felt like it was about time to do another conversation with the one and only Zach Estes. Now, many of you have listened to the previous conversation that I had with Zach on this podcast. He is the COO of Path for Growth and is honestly the mastermind behind the systems and the processes and the functionality that is making this thing execute and run at a higher level and a higher caliber than it ever has before. Zach is one of my greatest friends, and he's someone that I deeply respect as a leader and someone that I'm so grateful to get to build this business alongside. And whenever we sit down for coffee or conversation, man, we go some places. And one of the things that we both know about our conversations is that they're always best whenever we don't fully decide where they're going to go, we just let them go where they go. That's what happened for today's recording. So we start with the topic of operationalization because this is something that we're both deeply passionate about for the building of our business right now. And then from there, we talk about some of the fundamental things that we've learned within Path for Growth. And man, we have a bunch of tangential side conversations that are just so much fun. This was a lively conversation. It was a rangy conversation and it was a life-giving conversation for me. I hope it is for you as well. So here's my conversation with Path for Growth COO, Zach Estes. Zachary, this feels like uh, building in public part two, which is very exciting. I think whenever we first started doing building in public, we said, oh, let's do one of these like every single month or maybe even every single week. And it's like, it turns out that would be kind of hard to do. So uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. I was thinking about where we start this conversation. It seems like an appropriate thing because I know your mind is really on this topic and it's something that we both get outrageously passionate about right now is one word and it's the word operationalization. Uh, And so I think that's where I'd like to start. I'd like you to start just by kind of discussing why that word is something you're passionate about and then maybe it'll be fun to dive into how that fits into our business and the businesses that we work with. Sure. Yeah. Operationalization. Man, that's, it's just a funny word to say out loud. First of all, like it, it feels like a $10 <laughs> word and that makes me not feel great about it. But yeah, operationalization. Uh, when I think about operationalizing something, like we can just turn something into a machine or maybe, maybe, and, and people don't always relate to that. And so maybe just turn it more into what it's could be, or maybe supposed to be, or mm. 
something turning something into its most effective state so to speak is what kind of comes to mind when when i think of that word and then just in the way in which we've defined what operationalization means a lot of it has some influence from toyota production system and lean culture and but the whole idea of having a standard having that standard written down somewhere so you could train to that standard having a way in which you can evaluate the execution of that standard and then having a way in which you can improve that standard. And so kind of like a cyclical process is what operationalizing something is. So having a standard, writing the standard, evaluating the standard, and improving the standard. Yeah. And it was so cool how we came to that. I was thinking about this this morning. It was, gosh, I guess it was back in August when you and I were sitting down and we had kind of our first uh, of what will now be full day quarterly planning meetings with our leadership team. And that at that time, the leadership team was you and I, and I'll never forget the room. It was that 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 room in uh, Kinship Landing, Colorado Springs, because it was just after our retreat and it had that garage door and it just snowed the night before on top of Pike's Peak. So we had this incredible view of Pike's Peak and you could see the snow on top, which was just so cool. But it was in that time that we said, okay, one of our objectives out of this time together today is not, we weren't really saying our objective is to talk about the topic of operationalization as it relates to our business. We said that the objective for today is to define the long-term dream for our business. And in light of the long-term dream for our business, what are we going to be focused on for the next three to five years for our business? And it was so cool because you and I had kind of had coffee discussions, voice memo discussions, or what feels like a voice memo podcast episode sometimes, and just so much back and (laughs) forth talking about the dream for our business. And then it was out of talking about that dream that we said, okay, in light of the big dream of what we want to do with regard to shifting people's paradigms with regard to personal growth and leadership and making a legitimate system that could teach people how to make an impact using the business that they've been given and how to create cultures of vitality and health for business owners around the country. We, we kind of cast that dream, cast that vision. And there's a lot more even than that. And we said, okay, within that, if we want all of that to occur, what do we need to focus on for the next three years? And I think it was out of that conversation that we literally said, okay, well, it seems like we've got to take what we're doing right now. And, and we started using that word, we got to operationalize it. And so can you explain the logic behind that being the next step for us? Because it's, it's something that like, I mean, every person's eyes on our team are on that word and that's their focus right now. So explain why that was the logical next step in that sequence of conversation for us. Yeah, I, I mean, we had hours of conversation around this. And so what comes to mind as, as kind of themes that draw it all together is that one of our core values in, in our business is alignment. And kind of one of the things that we're doing is setting the example and being the standard for the things that we teach. So so we're not teaching things that we don't practice and, and we become experts, so to say, in, in those various strategies or tactics and um, and the principles. And so us just really practicing in that on a day-to-day basis. And the, the principle with operationalized was like, man, let's get our house in order. Like, let's get our business in order. And if we do that, like that is going to set us up well to then be influential and impactful for the folks that we serve and the customers that we serve. And I think you and I were in step on what in order means, which you kind of mentioned that yesterday in in our next quarterly strategic planning meeting, which was yesterday, like you and I kind of, like when we both said in order, it's it's one of the reasons why I think you and I work well together is we both have an understanding of what that means. So like when you think of something being being in order, what do you think of? (laughs) The The thing that comes to mind for me is just like, 
So, so obviously Jordan Peterson comes to mind and the whole like order and chaos and 12, like all of that good stuff. But then like, I also think really beautiful orchestras or like the potential for chaos is so large, but when, when you can have that creativity and the beauty come together and it looks like nothing's maybe, I don't know if nothing special is happening. It's like one of those things of like, if you don't notice something's wrong, then you don't see it. Like it's just all kind mm. of flowing and going and moving and doing what it's supposed to do. And so you just don't notice it. It maybe fades to the background and you see the creative highlights in there. Like you see the the beauty or the rainbows or the or the sparks. You see you see those things that kind of highlight the moment rather than the things that you shouldn't be seeing that just don't matter to you as the uh, viewer or customer or the person being served by whatever's going on. And so I, I think a little bit like mise en place, so like bourbon steak, like Patrick Emo, like that, all those influences and like, like when we think really, really nice restaurants and teams that come together and make something beautiful happen, you can imagine a scenario in which all of that stuff is just coming together. And for the customer, it's a beautiful experience. But meanwhile, like there's a lot of hard work going on in the background and a lot of levers and variables that if any one of them go wrong, the customer will notice or, mm. or whoever, whoever's being served will notice and so just like whenever there's order, I don't know, that's what, that's what comes to mind for order, uh, a machine that's doing what it's supposed to do. And again, my background's in manufacturing. And so I just think about like, okay, machine's supposed to be running. Um, it needs to be man- maintained. If it's down, that's a problem. Like it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Like it's not doing what it was made for. And so we want we want to keep that machine going and flowing and doing what it's supposed to do so it creates value. Yeah, I, I heard a quote. I can't remember if I shared this with you or not. And you may even know who originated this quote. I, I don't know who first said it, but it was that every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. And it yeah. and it's like, okay, so it's like, are you getting the desired results? And it's like, well, no. Okay, maybe it's not the system's incorrect. Maybe the system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do and it's just the wrong system. So maybe you need to either build a system or fix the system. Man, it's so funny. You use orchestra and I think Chick-fil-A drive-thru. And and it's like, in some ways, Chick-fil-A drive-thru is a symphony, right? It's like, man, you see all these people playing their individual role and they're taking it so seriously and they apply attention to detail. It's fascinating. You've been to a couple of these. Whenever I teach ownership mentality team training, one of the first things we share is we say, okay, what does ownership ownership mentality mean? Or what does ownership mentality do? We say it means you care deeply, it means you engage actively, and it means you grow aggressively, right? And those are the three things. And I say, okay, let's start with that first one, care deeply. It means that you care deeply. I want you all just real quick to think of an organization that stands out as deeply caring. And I tell them, think about it. And then I say, okay, what, what are your thoughts here? And I have never been to a place that one of the first responses isn't Chick-fil-A. It's become, to, it's gotten to the point where I have to say, you can't use Chick-fil-A because we already know everyone's going to use that. And then we, we always go into this great discussion about, okay, why is it that we all say Chick-fil-A? And what they always reference is, man, the details. Everything is as it should be. And, and not only everything is as it should be, is they know what it should be and then they do what, they, what it should be. And I think mm-hmm. that speaks to kind of what we're talking about here with the idea of like, first you got to have the standard and then you've got to follow the standard. Totally. Yeah. Let's, let's walk through those four words because you kind of hit them high level and let's, let's break down what each one means. 
But, you know, before we get to that, I think one of the things I would tell people that I've learned in working with Zach is find people, especially for your leadership team, find people that share a level of get it factor around the things that matter most to you right? Like it's such a gift for me that Zach and I don't have to walk through why a great symphony looks like order and beauty. It's that we can sit there and marvel at the order and beauty of a great symphony. Or I'll never forget the first time I went to Bourbon Steak with you. I'll never forget I was sitting across the table looking at you and you were sitting looking at everyone else and you were just like, your mouth was wide open. I was like, dude, why are you not looking at the food right now? Like this food is insane. You were like, no, but look at, look at the server and look at the system and look at the process. And, and that's when it clicked for me. It's like, oh, okay, so he's got to get it factor. And, and before we jump into those four words, I think it's just worthwhile saying like, find people that share the same understanding of what excellence looks like as you do. Don't you? Because the, excellence is relative in some ways. Totally. Yeah. I so value in my career. I've went from manufacturing to healthcare to like media slash live events and, and now doing what we're doing now. And the thing I've always so enjoyed is like getting out of my comfort zone and looking at businesses that I have no clue how they have, like I've never been personally a part of a business like that, whether it's like a lawn care company or a hospitality company. But going even through the industries that I have gone through, I've just been able to see that business is business. And and I'm so grateful for that because it's given me a lens to see like, oh, okay, I can learn from any type of business. Like I can learn that. So if I can learn that, then I can see exactly like what excellence looks like in that field or in that occupation or in that industry. And it's just opened my eyes a little bit to be like, you, you can probably talk about like increasing our moves or, or making moves like that. But I think we can level up ourselves by stepping into realms that we're completely ignorant in and then making the connections, like identifying the principles that relate to the things that I know. And that's just been like so helpful to see how a hospitality industry, let's say like a five-star hotel or a five-star restaurant, how that type of customer service can be applied in a healthcare setting with a nurse and a patient. That type of excellence matters. Like if a, if a nurse or a doctor could build that type of rapport where they just care for the patient and, and they typically do, or, or on the alternative end, if they can treat their patient with absolute humanity and realize that they're running a business and that it's better for the this patient and the next patient that we get this patient as healthy as possible as quickly as possible and what does like what does that mean to treat this patient a little bit like a product on a manufacturing line like if we can if we can do this effectively without defects as efficiently as possible like man maybe a nurse or a doctor has a lot to learn from a manufacturing line and Seeing all of those kind of fields overlap with various forms of excellence, I, I just think it's so important that people get out of their comfort zone and see what other businesses are doing. Yes, and I think there's something to the fact that my belief is that one of the reasons that we didn't even really recognize a year ago now, because you've been with Pathogrowth for a year now, which is bonkers, but one of the things that we didn't even recognize as one of the factors that gives us the ability to work so well together is we share a similar idea of what excellence is. Yeah. And, and I think that's not a given. 
like the leaders that you interview, it would probably be really wise. And this is something that I definitely want us to be doing is like probably be really wise to discern for the area that you're going to be leading. Tell me about your, how you define excellence. Like what would excellence look like? Because distinction between what they believe it looks like and what what you believe it looks like is going to really create some frustration down the road if you're not careful. And I think you and I just have assumed alignment there in some ways. Yeah, I think so. I think what I hear you saying is like on the macros or in the fundamentals of excellence, like you have to be pretty close to the same spot because then I think it's an infinite ceiling. And and that's maybe the next level of like realizing that if if you believe that, man, there's just not enough fruit to squeeze here. Like there's not enough juice to get out of this fruit or like we can't actually get better. Like we're, we're pretty much the best in the game in our uh, field or our region or industry or whatever. That's just a belief that immediately resembles pride and not humility and will get in your way of... It's your lid and and you can't move forward beyond that point. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know, then, then your order starts to turn into like tyrannical chaos right? Like it starts to just eat itself up when like you're not capturing any more domain. You're not taking any more domain. You're, you're just kind of dying and will get old and frail that way. When I think sometimes what we've noticed, and we're going to get to the four steps of operationalization here in just a second, but I think this is so good to, to park on for a little bit. This is what so often our conversations look like. This is why we have to be so structured with our meetings because when we go and just have coffee conversation, we put something like, we're going to put a pin in that and come back to that in about like two hours from now, right? So, so we're going to get there, I promise. But And this is just a shoot in the breeze conversation, but I think it's so valuable. So with regard to, to that topic of operationalization, but also never any improvement, I think what we've seen is a maybe paradigm that people operate with unknowingly oftentimes is that okay, never-ending improvement is equitable to never-ending growth, which is never-ending size increase. And what what we have noticed, I feel like, is, man, the, the road through never-ending improvement means that you are going to break down the stuff that you are currently working on to such a small pieces because when you break it down to small enough, you, you can't say what is the best for path for growth. That is too massive a thing, right? And it's not even that massive a thing right now, but it's too massive a thing. What we can say is, okay, we've got this weekly call called office hours, and we've got a section of office hours for 10 minutes at the beginning of each call every single week that is focused on greeting and making members feel welcome. How do we take that section and make that best? And it's like breaking it down to the most minute piece and then saying, okay, what is what is the best possible way that you can optimize? But then I think the other word is steward that section to just create wild impact. And so it's not necessarily bigger. It's we're actually breaking it down to smaller and then putting our eyes on that small thing and saying, what does best look like for that small thing? Yeah. I heard Jordan Peterson say he defined what ethical accomplishment is. And he said, doing something good, right. And it's just like, okay, well, if you're going to do something, first make sure it's good. And then how do you do that thing right? Like, what does that mean? And define that specific thing. So to your point, like breaking it down into like writing a sentence, like, why are we communicating? Are there mistakes in that? Are there typos in this? All the way to like, okay, running a meeting well, setting the agenda. And then all of those things make up greater things like running a business in a building path for like systems are just like made up of smaller parts 
And I think that's the, like, that's what we take action on. We don't take action on systems. We take action on very small steps. And that makes, I mean, that makes life and business so exciting. And, and then if you can create a culture of people that's doing that, it's like, oh my gosh, it's thrilling. There's ne- you should never be twiddling your thumbs ever. There's never not something to do. Like there's all, and, and uh, man, what's so cool too is, I mean, it's rooted in our mission, right? We are doing this for the glory of God. I think this connects to the glory of God because, okay, it's doing something good right Okay, something good. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that good is not relative. Good is not subjective. Good is not what you get to choose. It's, it's that we can objectively look at things and say, not only is that good, but that is right. And in the presence of good, well, the minute you assert that there's good, well, then you're also saying there's bad, which is like, where the heck does that come from? I mean, I would suggest you look up, right? But in good and bad, and then there's a spectrum of like, okay, well, what could be most good done most right? And that's a crazy idea, like most good done most right. Maybe that's a reflection of holiness. And maybe that's how you start climbing towards glorifying God is you do what is most good in the way that is most right. And then you just be grateful for the opportunity that you have to be a part of it. I I just get so, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I've been talking, I know a little bit to you about, but it's just, how can you not be passionate about that? And what's so cool is regardless of what the work is. It doesn't matter what the work is. Yeah. I also like what I'm most convicted of is it's the littlest things that like add up to, I mean, the greater things. Yeah. Just in the way in which I take care of myself and the way in which I text people or communicate with people, the way in which I'm present if someone's talking and if I'm listening, all of those things, you know, if, if you take proportions of your day and figure out like, okay, well, I think actually Peterson talks a little bit about this. You sleep let's say eight hours a night, that's a third of your life. Like you should probably figure out how to do that, right? Or you constantly breathe and we act like that's a normal thing. But like, man, there's so much science in like deep breaths and versus shallow breaths. And and that's just the beginning of it, right? And And so all of these things, like I think it's just a reflection of if we just do the little things right, like that gets us at least 80% of the way there. And then we get to have fun with, we get, we gain the responsibility to do these different things, other things, things that require creativity and things that require uh, an endeavor and an adventure and risk. But we, but we got to do the foundational things first. That's right. And what's so cool is I think probably most of the people we're talking to, we're not saying anything that's revolutionary to them right now, right? We always say like our, our job is not to revolutionize, it's to remind, right? But what's so interesting is that some of the most well-intentioned people I know that really care deeply about the little things like what we're talking about right now end up becoming some of the most stressed out business owners I've ever met. And it's because they care so deeply about the little things, but instead of creating a system that optimizes for the little things, they become the little thing police. And they just were walking around and are consistently bugged by all the little things and constantly trying to, to tweak and turn and, and perfect. And that, I mean, that'll drive you crazy, right? You'll never be able to sleep a good night of sleep in your life because you're always going to be thinking about these little things. And so the goal is to create a system which we're going to talk about in these four steps, but then also a culture, which is shared values and behaviors that represents the deep-seated care that you have for the little things. Because if you don't do that, I think the bigger your business gets, the higher your stress level gets. But what's so cool is Zach and I, I mean, we are, I view Zach as my co-leader in running this business in so many ways. Like, I think I can speak to the fact that it's like the business is growing 
And while the business is growing, which is such a gift and such a blessing, my stress level is going down, which is amazing. And and it's not always like that. Like there's some weeks where, I mean, you get to experience it firsthand, right? Where it's not always going down, but but that's what I feel right now. And I, and I think what we're about to talk about is kind of behind that. Would you agree? Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. I also think that's a reflection. I know you're not asking for this and I'm not doing it to like blow your head up, but I think it's also a reflection of you being, I mean, just in the way in which you worded that I co-lead this business with you. Like you're the owner of this business, not me, but you have given me responsibility in such a way that I find freedom in being able to advance our mission and step into uh, my role as, as completely as I can. And I think that just talks a lot about like how much you believe what you uh, what you teach, how much you practice what you preach, that type of thing. So it's cool. Mm. What man, I appreciate that last that last sentiment as much as anything. Is it's like man, if if you struggle as a leader with handing off responsibility and trusting people, what do you do? Put your eyes on your mission, right? And and because if you care deeply about your mission, that will give you the courage you need. Because what what is the emotion you're experiencing whenever it comes to handing off? The the primary emotion in every leader that I've ever worked with, whenever it comes to the topic of handing off real responsibility, is fear, right? Okay, so the answer is not to run away from the things that make you afraid. The answer is to become more courageous. Well, if the answer is to become more courageous, how do you do that? Embolden yourself by staring at the purpose that you're chasing. And that will give you the boldness necessary to take the hard steps. And and then you'll start to have traction. And when you have traction, man, then you just blow the lid off the thing. So, okay. I feel like we built it up enough now. Let's talk about the four steps. So we'll give them to everyone high level and then let's break them down a little bit, especially the first two probably. So standardized, documented, evaluated, improved. And there's something that Pat Lencioni teaches uh, that he calls the sophistication bias, where he says that sometimes you, you get these PhD or MBA types that look at something simple and they say, there's no way it can be that simple. That must not be good because it's simple. And uh, I will tell you, I stand directly opposed to that line of thinking. I think, man, that must be really good because it's so simple is what I really, really believe about things. And so let's start with standardized because there's so much woven into this word and this idea of standardized. And so first, I'd love for you to describe what does standardized mean, and then we'll describe how that kind of plays out in our business and the businesses we work with. Yeah, to standardize something is to create a standard for something. And so a standard is just simply the way in which something is done or the, the way in which something is made up of. It's a, it's a recipe. It's a process. It's a, an explanation of what the outcomes are or what success looks like. It's a charter, so to speak. It's a model for for what this is supposed to be done. And so I think the best example that we've all experienced is a recipe in the kitchen. Like that is a standard. It's instructions. It has ingredients. It tells you exactly what to do and what the outcome will be. And and you're working towards that outcome. And if you don't follow those instructions, you will get a different outcome. It's a very known standard, but yeah, that's the best idea of a standard. And so it's, it's the way in which something is created or produced. And in some ways, if we're going to continue with that 
example, like in some ways, the finished cake is the standard, right? And, it, and it's like the the best possible version of the good finished cake is the standard. And and it's like, there is so much woven into best and good, right? It's, it's like, okay, well, what is the moisture level of the cake? How much icing did you put on the cake? How tall is the cake? How even is the cake, right? I'm not really a cake person, but these are all things that I know cake people consider, right? And so it's like, what does best and good mean? And describe what best and good means in the cake. And then the recipe is like, okay, here's the best practice or the process for achieving the desired standard, which is the good cake. And any cake that is less than best is just a little bit off standard, right? But we can't know less than best unless we have a picture of what best is, you know? And I think so many businesses and leaders struggle because they are way better at talking about the cake that they don't want instead of painting a picture of the cake that they do. And I think that this is an element of vision capital is you wear it, and I'm talking to myself right now, you wear it as an opportunity, but also as a responsibility to paint a picture of what winning looks like for the individual particularities of your business and of your team. And don't just tell people what you don't want, all right? Don't just walk around and say, no, the cake shouldn't look like that. No, the call shouldn't look like that. No, the meeting shouldn't look like that. No, don't do this. No, tell them, hey, I'd love for it to look like this. And I'd love for us to achieve this outcome. And man, when you cast that vision for people, it's crazy how creative they get and how enlivened they get. Can I just mention one thing? I feel like you stepped a little bit into document. And so just think it like, just encourage you, like, Often, and particularly a leader or an owner, like you probably have the standard in your mind, but to Alex's point, like it either ha- maybe hasn't been communicated or it's not written somewhere. But often I like you'll hear something along the lines of like, I just know what right is or only I can do it. I, I just can't hand this off because it's not going to be done right. And it's like, okay, well, tell me what right is. Like, give me words for what right is. And that is the standard. That's right. Yeah. What? Yeah. When people say, "Oh, others can't do this the way that I do it," it, what you're actually saying is, "I can't communicate what it actually is that I'm looking for." And I will tell you, this is something that we've had to struggle through and understand for our own business, and that's why we're so passionately convicted about talking about it. Is and Kelly wouldn't mind us talking about this. Kelly is one of our coaches, and and when we hired Kelly, like we had so many great conversations with her in the hiring process of being like, "Hey, we are scrappy, and we are building this." by learning from our mistakes. And anyone that is on the front line of working with customers a lot is going to experience a lot of us just saying we're committed to never-ending evaluation and improvement. And so the first time Kelly ever ran an office hours call, I just was like, oh, just watch a recording of how I did it and then you maybe go try to do it. <laughs> and Kelly was like, I, it's one of the things that I appreciate most about Kelly. I think it's one of her greatest strengths is she was just like so game on. She was like, absolutely, I'm going to go do that. And then I showed up and watched her run the office hours call and I was like, that's not exactly like what I want. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I've never told her what I actually want. Maybe that's actually on me and not on her. And then it was crazy. For the first time ever, I sat down and slowed down enough, which this will require you as an owner, as a leader to slow down and said, okay, what would it look like for me to write five sentences about what I actually want from office hours? And I'm just going to write them down and and I'm going to say, I'm going to state success. And this is why we call it success statements. That's what we call it in our business. And I'm not just going to tell Kelly because telling Kelly is quick and impatient. 
I'm going to write these things down because when I write down a standard of what winning looks like, then I give Kelly the means by which to chase a finish line that she's already deemed worthwhile. She already believes in it. She wants to be successful. And that's what I'd tell you. Your team members want to be successful. They just don't know what your idea of successful is. They have no clue until you put it on paper. And so, I mean, Kelly, uh, there are a lot of times right now where I look at Kelly running office hours. I'm like, oh my gosh, she runs office hours better than I do. And now Kelly could easily train someone else to run office hours because we have documented standards of what winning looks like within office hours. And so uh, maybe you can speak a little bit to how success statements fill the role of standardized and documented and explain a little bit of what that does for us as a business, because it's one of the things that's happened in the past six months that we've just been like, we can't believe we discovered this thing. And we're like, oh my gosh, how has no one come up with this? Yeah, it's super helpful, particularly when you're first communicating a standard or if you're creating a standard. And so just to say like, just to pause and say, what does winning look like? What is the outcome that we want? That's a great guardrail because you may not have a best practice. You may not have a process for accomplishing that. The question then becomes, well, let's figure that out. Like that, that is your standard. Whatever the outcome is that we want, that is the standard that we start with. And that's a V1 standard. And so we maybe start with that standard. But if it's something that we've repeated and that we've like kind of mastered or at least gotten really, really proficient at, then maybe we have some best practices or tips and techniques and processes associated or tools associated with accomplishing that outcome. And like, let's set our team up, let's set our people up well to accomplish that outcome. Or even better, we give them the tools, processes, tips, tricks, all the things to accomplish that outcome. And then they figure out a better, more efficient way to do it. And so they update the standard. But that's how all that comes into play is that typically a standard is made up of, and and what we teach is a standard is hopefully made up of at least success statements. And then in addition, as long as it's been kind of practiced and proven, um, some best practices. That's right. And and you, you want to create a culture on your team where the best practice can always be made better. The best practice can always be improved, can always be made better. So success statements are three to five bullet points that describe what winning looks like. And it can be for a role. It can be for a meeting. It can be for a project. It can be for a body of work. We have success statements for workshops. We have success statements for podcasts. We have success statements for my role as the CEO, for Zach's role. And it's just literally three to five sentences that say, man, when these five things are consistently true, I'm winning in my role, Kelly's winning at office hours, Olivia's winning at coaching manager, Duke is winning as marketing intern. And I can't tell you what's crazy is how much freedom is the result of giving people that structure. And you know, I was thinking about this the other day, before I even started the business, I, I was talking to you some about, man, I don't know that I could ever do remote. I don't know that I could ever do remote, right? And, and I was like, I think I've got, because my experience up to that point had only been working for places that were all together in person. And I was like, I, I don't know that I could ever do something that's virtual because I, I love in-person interaction so much and I just thrive on it. And here we are running a remote organization. I'm having the time of my life. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So that's one of those where you got to put a feather in your cap because you were totally right. Because you tried to talk to me like, are you sure? I think you could totally do remote. But if we're not remote, I don't think we come up with success statements. Certainly not as fast as we have. Because I mean, working remote, it's like, I'm not 
standing over people's shoulders. I have no clue how people are spending their time. We don't have people track their hours because one of our values is freedom and responsibility, right? And so we say like, man, you are responsible for winning in your role. And within that, you've got outrageous freedom. If you want to do that from the beach, if you want to do that working only at night, if you want to do that in the morning, but you're responsible for winning in your role, And within that, well, then you've got to answer the question, okay, well, what is winning in your role? And we've had to spend so much time and energy and intentionality. If we're in person, I don't know that we have to be that intentional. And because we don't have to be that intentional, I don't know that we get to it as fast as as we've had to. It's almost like that's a constraint that's um, served as the breeding ground for the creativity that is success statements. And now we've taught it to businesses that are in person and they're just, I mean, it's its probably the thing that we've taught over the course of the past six months that has made the biggest difference on the organizations that we work with around the country because you're just seeing it come to life and it creates such structure and boundaries within which freedom can occur. Yeah. I also think just to add on to that, I think it requires our team members to experience creativity and to get to have creativity, but also to be problem solvers. And like, I may not have the answer for you. Like you go figure that out and you figure out how to achieve that outcome. That's your role. I have a whole nother role. And so, so it's just a fun thing of like, it's fun to collaborate with each other and we can definitely help each other, but it's people aren't dependent on me for them to be successful in their role directly at least. And so it's just like a helpful thing to say out loud. Like, I I don't know how you're going to do that. (laughs) I'd love to help you, but like you go figure that out have fun. That's right. I always get this image. It was maybe the book, turn the ship around that I got this from, but it's kind of like as a leader, you know, if you picture your org chart, you may be sitting on top of your organization or on top of your team and responsibility and authority is constantly trying to climb up that org chart to sit with you. And you are constantly shoving, like not like redirecting, you're shoving responsibility and authority back into the organization. And you're saying, I am going to make the fewest number of decisions that make the greatest number of ramifications. And in reality, if Kelly or Olivia or Danielle or Duke or Michelle or Zach or anyone on our team is asking questions about something within their role, well, they are the expert on their role way better than I ever could be because they do it every single day. It's like, man, I, I trust you. That's why we hired you. And what's so cool is, I mean, we've, we've got a young team, which it's crazy for me to say that because I always felt like I was the young guy on the team. Now I'm like one of the older ones. It's like, we've got, I think Duke is 19. I think Danielle is, is maybe 21. I, like, it's just crazy. They are such good decision makers and they are such creative problem solvers and they use words sometimes that I'm like, I've never even heard that word before because it's like, they're a different generation. It's like, man, the creativity is not going to come from the top of our organization long-term. The creativity is going to come from the roots of our organization. And so if you've got a disconnect as a leader, you're, you're going to be missing out on the wellspring of life that exists within the power and robustness of the fullness of your team that you've recruited. And so creating a structure in which that can occur, I think is really important. Uh, okay, standardized, documented. So, so you describe the standard, and then the minute you've got it described, you put it on paper. And, and we put this in a Worth It Wednesday recently, um, which Worth, Worth It Wednesday is our weekly email. We'll put that in the, the show notes of this episode if you want to sign up for it. 
Um, we use a program called Trainual to document these standards. And that's been really, really helpful for us and something we're actually training our team more on right now because all of you know this, just because you buy software doesn't mean people use it, right? And so so we're working on training people, okay, how do you use this to continually document standards as they avail themselves? And then evaluated is next. And evaluated is really crucial because just because you have a standard doesn't mean it's being referred to and doesn't mean it's being looked at. And so evaluated is, do you have a repeatable system for constantly evaluating how the work that's been completed compares to the standard by which it's supposed to be done? And so, you know, if we're going to go back to our our illustration, once you've made a cake, then you're going to look at the cake in comparison to the best possible cake. And you're going to say, man, that lines up perfectly. I couldn't, if you put these side by side, I wouldn't be able to tell you which one was which, right? Or you can say, eh, the best one is maybe a little bit more even or a little bit more moist, right? But without the presence of the standard, then you can't really effectively evaluate. And so I think too many people start with evaluation whenever they should start with standardized document, but then evaluation. Can you speak to practically how we are working to introduce this concept of evaluation into our business right now? Yeah. So the repeatable processes, and just to pick a few that we we do on a regular basis. So we have a coaching session. We have office hours on a weekly basis, multiple times per week. We have workshops on a monthly basis. And so whoever is executing that standard for that specific process then uh, goes into a form and uh, essentially has the standard present and evaluates whether or not they accomplish that standard. And so the thing here is that if someone know it's kind of like a guardrail. If someone knows that they're going to be evaluating themselves on the standard, then they're going to refer to the standard before they facilitate or execute that standard. Like, you know, if we say go facilitate office hours and we have a standard, but they're not going to be evaluated on it, then I'm just going to go do office hours in whatever way I think might be best today. And maybe I have some really neat idea that turns out to be terrible. Or I can refer back to a standard and be like, okay, well, let me just make sure I'm, I'm going to accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish. What are the best practices associated with accomplishing that? Okay, cool. I'm, re- I'm ready to go. And then afterwards, I can be like, did I do that? Did that happen? The other thing, I don't know that we've really hit on this, but the standard should be the default. That That's kind of... I don't know if we want to step into this. No, we should. To- this is one of my favorite things. We should totally step into this. This is great. <laughs> the standards should be the default for for what's happening in that specific process or or project or whatever. But there's a time to make exceptions, and you got to think about what's most important. And so, like one of the things that we really value is our humanity and our relationships. And so, if we're having a conversation with someone or or we're working through a process to accomplish a desired outcome with a customer. And they bring up something that's really, really difficult for them. Maybe they're going through relational turmoil. Um, maybe they've had a loved one pass away. Yeah, real quick. Let's use a really specific example because I think this will help illustrate. So one of the things that we have standards for that we've referred to a lot now is office hours, right? And we have multiple people on our team that can facilitate office hours. We say it's a, we have two of them a week now. It's a casual yet intentional conversation for impact-driven business owners and impact-driven leaders. And it's just such a good, wide-ranging, focused 
purposeful, intentional, wholesome conversation typically where it's member driven, but coach facilitated. So the members are bringing the problems, the challenges, the opportunities associated with their business, their leadership, their life. And the coach is making sure we play ball, right? And then we, all of that runs. And so within that, we have five success statements, just what we're talking about. And um, I pulled them up on my Trainual account. Zach, COO, would be so happy that I logged into Trainual, nice. right? Yeah. I'm making you proud right now. Uh, and, and so I'm on Trainual right now. And this is what any coach can access before the office hours call that they're facilitating. And these are the five things that, again, describe what winning looks like for office hours. I'm just going to read them to you. And, and I'm using this not so that you know about our office hours call, although I, I think you should know about it. But beyond that, it's so that you can know what we mean whenever we say success statements. So this is what it looks like for office hours. Members were welcomed and got to experience the value of relationships with an impact-driven community. The coach clearly set expectations and led the flow of a call in a manner that was smooth, safe, upbeat, and member-focused. Everyone on the call engaged and was promoted to participate. Path for Growth values, principles, and teaching were highlighted by the facilitator when appropriate. And members are left with a greater sense of energy and support than when they arrived. So what's so cool is that is literally statements that describe success. If we can get to the end of office hours and regardless of who was facilitating, we can go down and red, yellow, green. Red is that's not true. Yellow is that was inconsistently true. Green is that was consistently true. If we can red, yellow, green each of these statements, we say they're all green, then that coach won. Either that coach won or the standard is incorrect, but we know the standard is correct. So that coach won in this case. And so what Zach's talking about now that's so interesting is say you get onto an office hours call and we typically start with a way to get them welcome and engaged like a highlighter win or what are you learning right now or something like that say you, you show up someone just looks absolutely beat up and someone had a member of their team die and they just really need help and, and this is the type of thing like it's not out of the realm of possibility for someone to show up with that type of tragic thing on this call well, then the culture we want to create within our team is not, sorry, man, we got to follow the process. Like I'm an automaton robot that just follows policy and I got to make sure I'm all green. Otherwise, my boss is going to get mad at me. No, that drives me crazy, right? What we are relying on in that moment is the coach to be discerning and wise and to say, okay, there are times that should be assessed carefully and very intentionally that you abandon standard and process because you need to do what's right. But you do that with the absolute greatest vigilance and care. And that's the thing that's important to highlight is we trust the team member to do that, but man, you better be able to describe why you abandon standard if you're going to make the, the choice to abandon standard. That's kind of what you're getting at, isn't it, Zach? Totally. Yeah. And, and there's so many ways in which you can apply that, both in a way that improves the standard or in a way that like, this is no longer office hours. So we don't apply a standard to a thing that we're no longer doing. Like this is a different thing now because of the things that have happened. And so we serve that person in such a way that is, is good for that person. That's right. I mean, this is the example that <laughs> I, I think he did not talk about it in this way, but let's just increase the Jordan Peterson royalty account. Um, at, like the example that we heard him give was 
Jesus on the Sabbath, which is crazy because the question still comes up is like, okay, does Jordan Peterson believe in Jesus? <laughs> it's like, it's just such a mind blowing thing to, to think about. But I mean, he's taught me a heck of a lot about Jesus that I didn't know before. And it's like, okay, w- Jesus on the Sabbath, there's so many stories. And, and this is in his book, Beyond Order, I think, but it's like, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. People get mad at him. Why are they getting mad at him? Because he deviated from the standard of Sabbath, right? He did work and he did miracles on what is supposed to be the day of rest. Day of rest is a standard, right? And Sabbath is a standard and he deviated on that. But man, if a man is sitting there crippled and lame and you have the ability to heal him, are you really saying, oh, I'm sorry, I have to follow my standard? No. I mean, you should be very careful because if if you're not careful, you'll never have a day of rest in your life. But man, there's certain times where there are higher level principles at play that cause you to abandon process. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to spend a lot of time communicating with our team right now is, man, what we're really talking about growing in on that topic is grow in wisdom and and grow in confidence and grow in the ability to make decisions, you know? Yeah. A younger version of me would, would say, that's not good enough. That's like, it needs to be black and white. And we need to be able to tell someone exactly what the standard here is. And, and there shouldn't be a discourse from that. And And yeah, I think I've grown in such a way that subjectivity is totally appropriate, particularly when it's effective for the outcome. Like if we know what outcome we're trying to accomplish, like we are a team of humans who are creative and going somewhere. And so we can um, do this together. And if there's consensus around what the standard is or what the outcome is supposed to be and We can also realize like, hey, maybe the better thing to do right now is just to like love someone and be like superhuman. Super at being human. Yeah, yeah, right. And and that's the high that's the higher order principle. And what we're saying is, man, in most situations, in most circumstances, the process and the success statements are the best way that we've found to love people well, right? And love them by serving them. But the thing that we're really holding on to is we're called to love people. Within that, we've got some success statements. And within that, we've got a process of how to do that. The first thing that we're willing to abandon is the process. The second thing we're willing to abandon is the success statements if those no longer tie into loving people. The thing that we are unwilling to abandon is you have to love this person, right? Like that is the highest order principle. And and man, your business is screwed up if your success statements and your process is are no longer the best way that you've proven to love people, right? And so constantly part of evaluating is saying, okay, are we doing this the right way compared to standard? But then also, and this goes on to the next piece, which is improved, evaluating is the standard the still the best way to achieve the higher order principles associated with the business? Like is office hours still accomplishing what it actually exists for given these success statements? And so when we're talking about improved, we're talking about the tweaks and changes, but we're also saying every once in a while, you should probably look at your standards and say, is that actually a correct definition of what success is? And that's what I think creates a virtuous cycle where your business is able to adapt with the world around it. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Okay, so let's let so let's review for people standardized, standardized, documented, evaluated, improved. Okay, people listen to this podcast, they're like, "Oh my gosh, I want that because my organization is chaos right now." What would your thought process be for them getting started? 
So just off the gut, the thing that immediately comes to mind, and I've wrestled with this a little bit with even just building our business and and thinking about how that pertains to us, is I don't think that this is ever complete, but there's some pretty fundamental processes that make our business run. Like it's how our business is a business. And so I would start with what is the highest volume process or what is, or you could start with, okay, let's start with our people and start with success statements for their roles and separate the person from the role. You could start there. But in regards to processes and projects, I would say what is the highest volume thing that we do regularly? So if we're a coaching business, it would be coaching calls. Or if if we mow lawns, like how exactly do we do that? And how do we do that well? Like we don't need to we don't need to worry about like how to process payroll. Yeah. And what does success look like? Totally. Yes. What is what not just the how, because that's really important. We're not just giving people the process. We're giving people the outcomes first. And then the process is the best way to achieve those outcomes. Yes. Totally. And because it may it may be maybe you don't need to spend time on the process yet because people are just accomplish it. Like maybe we're really winning in that area. Or what you could see is like, that is not up to standard. Like that is not, I'm not satisfied with these outcomes associated with this process that we do in our business. And so then you need to define well, what that is and go through that process. And so, yeah, I would, I would say stick to the more fundamental processes of the business at first, again, as opposed to saying, here's what winning looks like for scheduling PTO or like taking time off or processing payroll. Like, that stuff can happen later and is necessary, but isn't how the business operates. And you'll probably get a whole lot more joy from defining exactly for the rest of your team what that looks like with the rest of your team, I should say, like do it with them. Yeah. And it, it kind of goes to what we talked about at the beginning of this whole section of, I mean, we've introduced this concept to 20 million, 50 million, $100 million organizations now. And we've also introduced it to organizations with one team member and $100,000 in annual revenue right now, right? And what we've found for the $100,000 organization and the $100 million organization is break it down in the smallest possible unit and then describe what beautiful or what great or what best looks like for that unit. And high yield too. So one of the things that Zach mentioned is what's the thing that if you were to get clear on what winning looks like, it would create the greatest return. Well, man, if you're a $50 million organization and you have a weekly team meeting, that is so much money that you're spending to have everyone on that Zoom call or in that room for an hour. And so maybe have three to five bullet points that describe what winning looks like for that hour. Because if you're unintentional or haphazard or lack purpose in that hour and don't have any clue what you're aiming at in that hour, you are you are losing money. It's going out the back door. And so just get clear with what the win is. So then you have a standard and then you can, let's return to our analogy, you can bake the cake <laughs> to that standard. There you go. So in preparation for this conversation, literally this morning, I just emailed you and said, man, what are the, the two to three things that have stood out to you or that you've learned or that you've been reflecting along since August, which is since our retreat, which just seems like a leveling up moment for us. And so I don't know what they are, but I'd love for you to share one on them and I'd love for us to chop it up a little bit. Ooh, I may want to go into two of them. I think one of them serves as a good segue for what we've been discussing around operationalizing. And so the thing that kind of stands out in my mind is that everything in life comes with maintenance. And so like, People may have heard you like taking on a, a minimalistic 
view around the things that you have, like the stuff that you actually, that Alex Judd actually has, or even in the way in which we think about like standards and like, what all are we doing in our business? Like everything comes with maintenance. And I've thought about that a lot in regards to being a new father, my health, the stuff that I have and like the tools that I use and the equipment that I get nerdy about. And all of that stuff takes time to maintain. Cars take time to maintain. Like all of that stuff takes take resources to maintain. That's really good. Okay, so what does that mean to you? So when you, when you reflect on that, first of all, you probably just revealed to some people that you became a new dad in the past six months. So congratulations. Y'all should meet Oliver. He's a wonderful kid. I got to meet him literally this past weekend. Se- seven weeks old now, is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, seven and a half. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, this is a tall kid. Like this kid's going to be, this kid's going to be oh, in the yeah. NBA. He's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Like he's, <laughs> I mean, he, he's not messing around. He's already got more hair than Zach does too. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> okay, so when when you think about that topic of maintenance though, what does what that elicit for you? Are you passionate about that? Or is it just something you've been learning and reflecting upon? Or yeah, what, what is the immediate next thought whenever you start to realize everything requires maintenance? The thing that comes to mind is like slow down. And this has come up a lot since we've had Oliver. The liner that I've kind of used with Taylor and, and shared with more people is just like, be here right now. And Man, like relationships require maintenance. Like our bodies require maintenance. All of, I guess that's, it just, it's just like this recognition of we're finite. Like we are, we are not going to live forever. And like we're here right now. And, and are we consuming, like are we just consuming things and stuff and information and, or are we like applying it and, and using it and curating it and, being stewards of it and being relational with it and loving those people and um, really investing into them and serving them. And, and man, it just, it just makes me slow down of like, I, I don't need a whole lot. There's not a whole lot we need. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to hear that. There's a part of me that's like, I want to take on the world. Like I want to accomplish more than anyone else has ever accomplished, but I don't need to do that. Like, that's what this part of me says is like, I don't need to do that. I don't know what the end game is if, if that's the end game. And if I want to take care of the things that are, that have God has given me to take care of, then those are the things that I need to maintain and I, and I want to maintain and I would love to maintain. And so my, my marriage, my relationship with my son, my body and my health and to serve as an example and to be in alignment with the values and principles that I believe in. Like all of the fact that I have principles requires maintenance to maintain those principles so that they're true. It's like so that I can prove that I believe in them. Otherwise, they're not true anymore. Yeah. And that takes time. Dude. We yeah. got to slow down. Oh, it, t- it, takes, it takes time and it takes energy. Man, I think you and I have maybe talked around this some, but I don't know that we've ever talked specifically about this. So I think this is really interesting. What I think about whenever you talk about that is – just the idea that natural state is not that things stay the same. Natural state is that things atrophy, right? Like your body deteriorates, your business deteriorates, your relationships deteriorate, everything. Sorry to be so uh, inspirational on this podcast right now, right? Like it's all, it, it is all actively deteriorating. And the only thing that will keep that from happening is not just you doing everything the same. It's you exerting outrageous amounts of intentionality on the things that you say, okay, I'm not going to let this atrophy. I want to see this thing grow. 
I want to make this thing become better. I want to make it become healthier. I want to make it. And it's crazy how sometimes the greatest competition to better and healthier and more vibrant and more mature is bigger, right? And the thing that gets in our way of making something healthier and more mature and and stronger and more durable is I got to make this thing bigger. Yeah. And I think a different way to view that, not necessarily this thing bigger, but we already have these things, whether they be relationships or business or role, like we have these things that are already in our playground. And the thing that we often kind of do is we want to get more things and we call it one thing. Expand the playground. Yeah. And it's like, man, maybe this playground's falling apart. But like, meanwhile, we want a bigger playground. And that's the, I think, one of the biggest dangers. Well, and, and what's cool is once you start to think that way, which I think it's something that I'm still very much working on, I think the minimalism, right? Everything I own currently fits into a Rubbermaid box with the exception of my bikes, which is such a joy. But it's because the uh, one of the reasons why I've done that is because it's the most external example of how I can start working on this principle because I don't think this principle is something I'm naturally good at, right? And it's like, okay, well, let's start at the thing that is like less existential and idea-oriented and more material. It's like, let's just make sure the things that I own are things that I want, things that I use, and things that I value. And let's just start there. And so that means we need to reduce the things that I own and make sure the things that I do own, I really take care of and they're really, really good things. But one of the things that I've learned from that is what does it do whenever you make that decision? Well, it makes you take the commitment to take on new things way more seriously. Yes. Like anytime you commit to, and and this absolutely extends beyond the realm of material things. This, this extends to your words. It extends to your guiding principles like Zach alluded to. It extends to your time. Like when you start saying that, oh man, when I do something, I don't do it good. I do it best. And I I am playing to have the things under my umbrella stewarded for the glory of God. Well, man, when you commit to that standard, it makes every other commitment way, way, way more serious because you're not opting in for doing anything half done. And so it's going to take anything you take on. Like if you decide to take on a kid, man, wild, <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you know this or not, wild commitment, totally. right? Like wild, wild, wild commitment. And, and then I think associated with that, which this is a topic you and I geek out about, commitment always demands sacrifice. And, and that's just part right. of the gig. Right. And I don't want to be known for everything. I want to be known for the things that I do really well and take care of. Speaking of which, I don't know if you can hear him screaming in the background. <laughs> yes. But like, that's just a natural part of it. Right. And so I, like, I want my kids to know that they were an investment, that I cared about them, that they took my time and energy and not that I didn't care about them and I wasn't going to invest in them. I think that's really, really important. And like, what better thing to do? What like better adventure? This is what life is all about. That's right. So man, there's so many things wrapped into that topic, but there's the topic of commitment like we talked about. There's the topic of sacrifice because commitment always demands sacrifice, but then there's also the topic of intent. And if you're going to think this way, then it's it's almost like a natural next step that you start thinking about, okay, well, I want what's best. Okay, that's a pretty big statement. I want, 
Like that's not a given thing, right? That you desire something. And I believe God does put desires in our heart. Like you should run it through the filter of, is this God or is this my flesh, right? But if you say, I want, and then you say this, and I want it to be best. Well, you've literally connected back to our earlier conversation. You've established a standard. You've established something you're aiming for. And aim is the antidote to meaninglessness, Right. Whenever you walk around and whenever you spend time with people that are just depressed and wandering and, and don't have a, a sense of passion and energy for life, it's because they lack some aim. And then I think when people know that, when they say, okay, I want some aim, but I just don't know what it should be. Should be? What, what are you talking about? What, like what? <laughs> this is what I had to learn. I mean, you walked with me through learning this. It's like, what is should be? Stop saying should be, right? God gave you a moral framework. He gave you wisdom. And within that moral framework and within their wisdom, I mean, outrageous freedom to say, okay, well, what, what do we want to create in service of others? Um, and, and man, that's just so fun. Yeah, exactly. Like I've had that conversation with a couple of folks recently of them just being like, I don't, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what, what, what to do next. Like, I don't, or what should I? How about I? something? Yeah. How about, how to, <laughs> absolutely. Like something, like, what do you want to do? Oh, well, like, let's start figuring that out a little bit. And yeah, there's something like we have been given this. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're just not shy about like what we believe. Like we believe we are made by a creator and we've been given this responsibility to take dominion. And it's not like this power trip. That's this like responsibility. It's a, it's a thing that like, man, we glorify God by being a creator of sorts, like by taking these raw materials or ideas or, and doing something with them. And I, I just think that's so special. And so all that to say like, yeah, just do something and, and maybe figure out like, oh, that's in service of others. Like that's going to help somebody or it's going to help me help somebody like there's all these things in which we trip over ourselves. We put stumbling blocks in front of ourselves that just slow us down and confuse us and frustrate us. And we like thinking about things and it's it's just not helpful. Well, and this, this connects to our core value of freedom and responsibility. I, I was sharing you with you recently that I, I was reading a book called Lessons in Leadership. It's by a Jewish rabbi. He's recently passed away, actually. I just found that out, which is so sad. But he's just a brilliant thinker. And he takes lessons in leadership from the Old Testament. And oh my gosh, it was just so good. But one of the things he talks about, he's like, you think the Israelites had a problem with slavery? Wait till you see how they handled freedom. And because the first thing they do whenever they get freedom is they start to find things to enslave themselves to, right? It's like, like freedom is really hard, right? Living with the ramifications of your decisions, really, really difficult. And so we'd rather submit ourselves as victim to the enslavement of someone or something else and just say, because then you carry no responsibility. You just say, oh, it was there. It was my boss's fault. It was my spouse's fault. It was the organization's fault, right? It was God's fault, right? But whenever you start to realize like, no, this is actually your decision and you have outrageous responsibility. And within that responsibility, if you can take care of them, it's outrageous freedom. It's just crazy. But it was actually something I wrote down for our team meeting today. We didn't have the time to get to it with the team, but it's something I'm excited to talk about in the future because you, me, and Olivia talked about it some yesterday. One of the things that I really want to talk about with the team is that responsibility is not how you earn freedom. Responsibility is how you experience freedom. Because I think it can be this, this will be a worth it Wednesday sometime soon, right? Like I think it can be this 
unhealthy, toxic thought pattern is I have to work really hard. And if I work really hard, then I get to be free. False. You are now enslaving yourself to the work, right? You are, you are opting back in for enslavement. Okay. So what is it? Because I know that's not correct. How would we describe what it is? Because when we do things correctly, freedom is not just when you're, when you're on the beach. Freedom is also when you're at work. Don't you agree? Yeah. It's the funny thing of like, it requires, it requires you to make a choice. It requires you to make a choice. And so like oftentimes the times in which I'm not experiencing freedom is when I am letting myself kind of thinking of myself as two. I, I can get really passionate about work and I love to work. But if I don't rest from that intentionally and choose to say I'm putting my work down and I'm not going to think about that, I'll just keep working even in my, in my head. Like I'll keep thinking on things and working on projects and that is not freedom. That is taken away from other things going on in my life, my family, my being present wherever I am. And so you could, you could say like, oh, I'm taking responsibility for the work that I'm doing. Like, no, I need to choose to do whatever it is that I'm going to take responsibility for. And often the things are right in front of our feet. Like it's, it's right where we are is what matters and what is important. And so, you know, if I'm at work, I'm working. And if I'm at home and I'm with my family and we're eating dinner, then I'm, then I'm with them. Like I'm there totally. And that's, and that's freeing. Like then I don't have to worry about these other things going on, whatever, whatever else is going on, whatever else in the world. So many things are going on in the world, not just my world, but the world that I'm not capable of carrying. I cannot bear that cross. I am not God. And I just, I can't do that. And that's, that is freeing, not taking responsibility for things that we can't take responsibility for. And thus choosing what we are taking responsibility for in the moment, at the moment. Man, I, I don't know that until this moment I've made that connection to freedom and presence. But if you ask somewhere, and where do you feel most free and where do you feel most alive? It is always where they are most present, right? Like, I, I mean, for me, like it, there will be times where if I go speak to a group of people and, and I get to either preach or I get to teach or I get to speak, I, I mean, I'll get off. And it, it was like I blacked out for 90 minutes. <laughs> it was like, what, I, I don't know what just happened. Like, and I don't even know how that happened. Like, it's just kind of bizarre. And it's like, I just love it. It just fires me up so much. And the same thing happens sometimes whenever we're recording a podcast or in conversation with people or things like that, where it's just, or writing sometimes, right? Where it's just like, you can't think about anything else because there's nowhere else you would rather be than the moment you're in. And that's freedom. And what if our responsibility is not only to experience that in the moments where you're speaking or you're teaching or you're recording a podcast or writing? What if it's to try and create that degree of freedom everywhere and to bring that degree of presence and commitment? But I, I was, um, reading this morning and I went to that verse in Galatians, Galatians 5.1 is for freedom Christ has set us free. And that's kind of the quintessential freedom verse in so many ways that Paul wrote. But later on down, it's talking about freedom even more and talking about how we should use freedom and things like that. But then Galatians 5.16, it kind of goes on and talks a little bit on how to do that. And it says, but I say, Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I think walking by the spirit like looks a lot like presence. 
it looks a lot like saying, okay, where is the spirit of God in this moment? Well, the spirit of God is with you right now. And so maybe the question is not, is God with us? Maybe the question is, am I with God in this moment, in this meeting, in this conversation, in this relationship, at this dinner table, on this run? And then you get to a spot like in Chariots of Fire where he says, I run because when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And what he's talking about there is freedom. It's like freedom comes from walking in the spirit with God, doing what you were created to do and not being anywhere else, I think. Yeah, something that I think is referenced spiritually, but I think it applies at a greater, like maybe, I don't know if it's a greater principle, maybe it's a lesser principle. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it applies to Whoa, all, all you aspects. almost went out on a limb there. <laughs> it all, all aspects of life. The, the thing I was going to say is like, I notice that I sin more when I'm focused on not sinning. And so similarly, like, man, when I'm focused on just like praising God and doing good deeds and being faithful and being present when I'm focused on doing those things, then I tend not to sin. And so similarly, like you kind of brought this up earlier with success statements, like I know this is a lesser thing. Similarly, like if you just focus on what we shouldn't do, you're probably going to keep running into that stumbling block. Like if that's all you're focusing on and you don't aim up and figure out where it is that you're going, what what you should or want to or go towards or define what winning looks like or any of those things, if you just say what what isn't good or what's not right, then that's probably what you're going to focus on until you figure it out and open up your eyes and look up and start moving in a direction. That's right. The greatest transformational movements in the world came about because people talked about what they were for, not what they were against. And by the way, that in itself is leadership, right? It's, I mean, it's what Martin Luther King did. I have a dream. It's what Nelson Mandela did. I think it's what Jesus did, right? It's like, wouldn't be as powerful if John F. Kennedy said, we choose not to stay on earth, right? He said, we choose to go to the moon, right? Give people a vision of where we're going. And man, they will, I mean, people do amazing things whenever you just inspire them with a vision of what we want and not just what we're against. And I think so much of, our world, and and by world, I mean your local world, like our world being our teams and, and their families and the community that your business operates in. Stop thinking about the globe. Stop, start thinking about your world, your local world. Just needs people to talk about what they're for. Stop talking about what you don't want. Start talking about what you do and then rally people around that. It's so desirable, so attractive. In light of that, before we close out today, what are you most excited about right now, Zach? I'm excited about that baby that's oh, crying in the background him? of this oh. podcast. He's going to town. Right buddy's yes. getting it. I, we should all play and say a big prayer for yeah. Taylor Estes because she's just crushing it Absolutely. as a mom right now. She is knocking the mom roll out of the park. <laughs> she is. Oh, I don't know. This is a whole conversation and probably an episode that we should definitely talk about. But we've kind of talked about like lean principles, whether operationally or spiritually and value versus waste. Like we've talked around that topic. But the thing that is interesting to me is, and that kind of excites me right now, is thinking about like long-term lean. And the word I'd use for that is, is resiliency. It often in the short term doesn't look lean to think about being resilient or to think about doing things in a greater time period. And I'm so interested by, I mean, and saddened by everything that's going on in the world around wars or conflict or displacement of peoples or the death of people or supply chain issues or economies failing or growing or any of those things that are happening 
And whenever people talk about like lean manufacturing or lean business and reducing waste, it's often on a time scale of just in time, like the next product. And, and that has its place and it's, and it's a useful way to think up until something goes wrong in the world. Like that requires everything to be going really, really right in the world. And so like we take our electrical grid for, for granted. Texas experienced this, right? And so anyways, I'm, I'm just very, I'm very interested and excited about how does the individual, how does the family, how does the community, how does the business, and maybe even broader, how does the nation and the world practice or grow in the topic of long-term lean or resiliency? Probably, probably in a more local level, probably business and down, business, family, individual, community. I think it's a really, really important topic that I'm interested in and diving into. Man, that idea has some legs. <laughs> I haven't heard you talk. That's my first time here. I'm like, man, if you're excited about that, I'm excited about that. That's that's awesome. I love that. Gosh, it's it's just crazy. I mean, we've done, you and I have done one other podcast like this, and it's just crazy thinking back. I, I don't even know what month that was. It must have been June or July or something like that. And it's just crazy thinking back. I remember recording that and finishing recording that podcast and thinking to myself, like, I don't know how it could ever get more fun than what things are right now, right? It's just so fun right now. It's just so exciting. And there's so much, so many things happening. And I think my my greatest vision for what could be is like, man, if we can just find a way to guard and sustain this, that would be great. And now it's like, I look up and handful of months later, or maybe nine to 10 months later, I look up and it's like, oh my gosh, it's more fun. <laughs> like <laughs> Olivia on our team has uh, grown fond of using the phrase God of more than enough. And, and it's just, I, I just commandeer that. And be like, man, it's just such a gift what we get to do right now and the people we get to do it with and the people that we get to do it for. And and man, you are such a part of that. So one year on the team, literally last week, and you made such an impact for the customers we serve. And our team just loves you to death. And I just consider you such a dear friend, you and Taylor both. So thanks for your time today. This was a blast. And we'll talk again soon, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Well, there you go, uh, y'all. I I can honestly say I am as excited as I've ever been for where this company is and uh, equally excited for where it's going. Man, we've got some stuff coming down the pike in the next few quarters that is just so thrilling. And so uh, if you want to be in tune with everything that we're doing, there's a couple ways that you can do that. Number one, you can subscribe to this podcast. And also to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast, that's just so helpful for us. Number one, it shows other people what we're doing here and it builds trust with them. And so if you haven't done that, I would just so appreciate that. But also your comments really mean a lot to me and I read them and kind of filter what we're doing with content moving forward based on those comments. So if you haven't filled out one of those reviews, I'd ask you to go do that. Number two, we talk about this on every podcast. We send out an email every week called Worth It Wednesday because I believe most email isn't worth it. So once a week, we try to send you one that is. We send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. If you want to get on that email list, you can do so at pathforgrowth.com or in the show notes of this episode. Man, we've got some good ones coming up. There were some that I wrote that I, I got a little bit fired up writing them. So you have that to look forward to. I, I felt like I was angry typing on the keyboard, slamming it because there's some things going on right now that I'm just deeply passionate about. And then finally, if you are an impact-driven leader uh, that is in a decision-making position within your organization, 
we offer coaching and also our membership options that give you the ability to stay in touch with people like Zach, myself, the other coaches on our team, and to the Path to Growth community. We've got so many cool things going on within the membership right now, whether it's with our one-on-one coaching program or the in-person experiences we have coming up or the casual yet intentional conversations that are part of office hours every single week. Uh, Y'all, if you want to be part of that, there's really cool things going on in the membership. We'd love to have you. You can get more information on all of that at pathforgrowth.com or you can shoot us a note at team at pathforgrowth.com. We'd love to talk to you about what option would be best for you. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.